The title for this morning's talk is To Be the Earth. <coughs> Quite an appropriate title, I think, for today, which is Earth Day. In the, in the times we are living in, mentioning the Earth immediately brings to mind the threats to our survival due to global warming, due to ecological devastation, and all the other damage that we relentlessly inflict on the planet. Without in any way detracting from the seriousness of these threats, today I wish to explore our relationship to the earth not so much as it concerns the length of our life together but primarily as it concerns the quality of our relationship with the earth. How do we perceive the planet we live in? Is it like a home such that we can become intimate with. You know, like sometimes at home you feel so, so right. Feeling at home. Can we <coughs> feel that way about the earth? Feel imbued of its spirit or whatever the words are. Or on the other hand, the other extreme, is it just a territory that we can subdivide and own a parcel of? Today I'll examine the implication of these two contrasting attitudes, starting with that of ownership. You know, in this part of the world, the ownership mentality is in display throughout the countryside by signs nailed onto every other tree practically, which say, and let me share, I'm sure you've seen millions of them. Posted, private property, hunting, hunting of hunting, fishing, trespass, not trapping or trespassing, <laughs> for any for any purpose is strictly forbidden. Violators will be prosecuted. Wow. <laughs> you know, for any purpose. I mean, this is a bit too much. You know. <laughs> You may lose your dog and have to run. No, 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 you cannot trespass here. <laughs> it's, it's true that they may discourage some abuses, but come on. And first of all, who's going to enforce them anyway? They have a completely different purpose. The purpose is to assert our own. You know, that sign 
I'm, I'm being so critical of those signs. That sign was posted in the front of my home, you know. <laughs> so I know very well what I'm talking about. <laughs> when, when Raquel and me bought the property where we live, um, that was one of the first things I did. Post some signs. <laughs> it felt good. <laughs> Doing it seemed to confirm that the line was... La- that the land was ours, or uh, rather, more importantly, for me, that half of the land was half mine. (laughs) 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 No, I told that to (laughs) Raquel. The me and me got a kick out of that. You you know, uh, I mean... Never mind that my action and our actions contribute to the fragmentation of the neighborhood. The same selfish drive towards fragmentation leads to the subdivision of the earth into different and often rival nations. In fact, in the U.S., even rival states, you know, <coughs> by God. You cross into Massachusetts, it's a different planet. <laughs> and and the, often those nations, like the U.S. and the South, are surrounded by highly militarized borders. In the case of the countries, it's not me versus you, my property versus your property, is us, my nation versus yours, is the ego, the ego of we versus the ego of you, the we go sometimes it's called. Same difference. Being on, on a default position of selfishness. We could not care less about the fragmentation, what the fragmentation does to the integrity of the earth or to the community of its inhabitants. Not to speak of the extreme cases where this fragmentation into nations leads to war. So it's quite a a terrible path, really. Of course, not all possessions are territorial. In fact, money, the most pervasive of all all possessions, is not. (coughs) It's not tied to anything and can be swapped for everything. And that's where it derives its tremendous capacity for control. And also its capacity to get out of control because nobody can control it. It's, of course, largely by definition, largely in the hands of the very rich, 
including the corporations and political establishment. And their prime goal is to maximize their profits and power, thus feeding their egos and egos. One one little item from a recent climate change conference that took place in Durban, South Africa. There it was made clear, by nobody could question it, the major, overwhelming in fact, per capita contribution to global warming came from the industrialized countries led by the U.S., And yet, the U.S. refused to agree on any legally binding emission cuts. I mean, there were all kinds of recommendations, nice things said, but nothing legally binding until 2020. Hooray! By then, it's going to be too late. I mean, too late, not that we'll do gone, but uh, the, the thing will be irreversible because it scales up. And, and the item that called my attention is that somebody at the conference said, you know, the U.S. is behaving as, it, as if it lived in a different planet. That's, that's extremes we go to. So here we are inhabiting a nation that in the last decade has moved, decade has moved more, more decisively to border control, to control of anything that might remotely uh, be labeled terrorism. And yet, is that unwilling to control its own actions that are wrecking the planet. Something is wrong here. And what's wrong is that we have renounced collectively, really, with some exceptional pockets like this pocket here, I'm sure, but otherwise we have renounced all responsibility for the fate of the Earth in order to secure instead the profit for the very few, the profit for the so-called 1%, in the hope that it may trickle down to us. What a travesty. So what are we to do? A tepid solution would be to seek a compromise between the selfishness of the few and the responsibility towards the many. But in the end, this will solve nothing. At best, it will slow the process. It will slow the process, but, but the process will continue. Instead of going that way, we need to start by making clear what the true solution would be. And the true solution 
has to be one to, which totally flips the equation in vogue. One which emerges from the premise that we and the earth are one. Much of this arm I'm moving, this leg I'm kicking with, this head I'm bouncing, are part of a unit, me, the rest of me. We've, we've got to come to realize very clearly that, that the boundaries that we use to fragment our oneness are artificial, are fallacious, are untrue. The bound, I mean the boundaries we set around our bodies, ourselves, our minds. Those are the first ones we need to say goodbye to. I mean the 45 boundaries, of course. I mean we, we have some we pay attention to this, I pay attention to this, this body, and, and so on. And does everybody else in this room. But that's not drawing boundaries. It's just paying attention to, to your corner in the garden. Let, let me talk a little bit in, in detail about this boundary. The, the boundaries delimiting our body are habitually defined by, by the skin, right? This is the end of my body. And inside there, there are 10 trillion cells, roughly. Take, take or give a few. Which are the progeny of the fertilized egg that we originated from and that carries our, our, our DNA. But you know, within these same boundaries, there's ten, sorry, ten times more, a hundred trillion microorganisms. They're very tiny, so they don't occupy much space, but they're essential for our well-being. And yet you could treat them as undocumented immigrants, you know? <laughs> I'm afraid <laughs> the undocumented immigrants also very often <laughs> are essential to the economy of this country too. <laughs> so, do we need to grant them citizenship? <clears throat> I believe we should do best to drop any attempt to distinguish between us and them. You know, 
in the course of evolution, one of these little creatures established an, a symbiotic relation with our body. And this microbe became an organelle of our body. They are called mitochondria. Without mitochondria, we couldn't possibly function. All the energy that we use is manufactured by them. And, and so, uh, what are they? Are they us? They are, we inherited them from our mother's cytopla- the cytoplasm of my, our mother's egg. So, there's even inherited. Are they us or are they them? Mm-hmm. And how about the air we breathe? Who does the air we inhale belong to? Does it belong to the earth or to us? And the one we exhale, they're slightly different, but they're basically the same air. Who does it belong to? Difficult, eh? If you're into boundaries, it's difficult. Uh, A few weeks ago, with Raquel, we were went to a friend's home and they had a, a little string quartet playing you know, and a, a beautiful, extraordinary singer too. And, and I, I thought, what about the, the vibrations, the waves in the air? Which vibrations belong to the Singer, I mean, were generated by her vocal cords, and which were generated by the string instruments, strings. Couldn't possibly distinguish. The ownership question is it's gone, disappeared in the playing of, particularly in the playing of music, of course. In fact, there was more to it because the, the sounds resonated against the walls, I, I noticed that. And they resonated, I understand, within the chambers of the instrument, of guitar and things like that. And now, who, who does the, do the resonances belong to? They belong to the wall, they belong to the instruments, they belong to the, to the singer. Everything is inseparably blended. It's just a, our obsession with with whose is this that tries to make a difference. And if drawing boundaries between our bodies becomes different, or the sounds made by our bodies become different, difficult. What about making drawing boundaries between our minds? It becomes 
untenable, indefensible. Say an idea pops up in my mind. Is it mine? Or maybe, you know, somebody smiled at me and I, and I picked it up from him or her. And, and the, the, the enormous repertoire of ideas that we offer to each other. I'm offering some now, and then in the inquiry you offer some back. Ideas are, are an inseparable blend of authenticity and acquisition. And yet, we go around constantly claiming property rights. Thousands and thousands of lawyers occupy settling claims about property rights for all we write and say. Even when we disagree, you know, the disagreement with the other also reinforces our own. side of the issue, so it's a response to the disagreement. Now, if setting boundaries around our bodies and around our minds is difficult, consider how impossible it becomes to set boundaries between mind and body. I mean, we have imagined them to be separate, but are they really? And yet, heaven forbid, we dare trespassing those boundaries. Or, or should I say, medical establishment forbid trespassing those boundaries, you know. Let me illustrate what I mean by considering how the medical profession looks at what's called the placebo effect. You know, probably most of you know, but let me go over it anyway. Uh, placebos are dummy pills. Pills, sugar pills, or chemically inert pills. And they are used in drug tests to establish the baseline for the treatment. How patients respond to the non-treatment, to establish the control readings, to be compared, of course, with the readings resulting from giving the actual drug being tested. <coughs> Fair enough, but as you may know, most of the time there's a very significant, if not overwhelming, effect of the placebo alone, forget about the pills now, just the placebo as the, the chemical pills, the real medicine as they call it. Um, but there's a real difference between the performance of the patients on the placebo and the performance of the patients that haven't been treated at all. Medical establishment dismisses that. Why? Because to look at that requires that we do away 
with the boundaries between mind and body. Because the placebo effect basically is due to the mind getting supported by the tender loving care of receiving a pill from from a caregiver and and feeling supported by that. In other words, the placebo effect is clearly um, evidence of the permeability of the mind-body divide. Well, no. I mean, to uh, I, I, I should have known, but to have to try to argue this way in this room is really trying to push an open door, you see. Because you, you, you're constantly experience the permeability of a lack of, not permeability of boundary, lack of boundary, really. In some, the fragmentation of the world, our mind and body included, has no basis of reality except for the compulsions, compulsions of our own 1%, our inner 1%, our outer 1%. If and when we manage to drop the fragmentation, if and when we manage to begin to see things as a whole, then, and only then, are we susceptible to be permeated by the stream of the real? The Buddha was very clear about that in so many ways. One, one historical proof of that is that, as the sutras say, Right after his enlightenment, the Buddha sat cross-legged on the ground, as he did, of course, and he pointed at the earth. What he was saying was that the transformation that had taken place in his mind Involve the earth as well. What the Buddha said without word, words is what David Abram, a cultural ecologist, manages to put in word, words in an article I recently saw in the Shambhala song. I say I never had heard of David Abram before. And here is his uh, article. I accept from it. 
He says, I have a friend, a native man from one of the Pueblo villages, villages that sprout from the high desert of northern New Mexico. On various occasions, Jacob, that's his friend, Jacob and I have wandered out across this red light, uh, land. Usually, we walk in silence, allowing ourselves to be led by the track of hare or coyote, or by the widening banks of a meandering arroyo. Now and then, we fall into conversations. Yet, I have noticed an odd contrast between us. If we are pondering some question as we saunter, and I happen to be visited by a new insight, I tend to announce that idea straight away, with no interruption to our dialogue or to the rhythm of our walking. When a fresh idea strikes my friend, however, he first halts his steps in order, so I've learned, to listen inwardly to the thought. But then he gazes around him, noting where he is on the land, silently question the nearby trees, or the sandstone cliffs, or the clouds drifting overhead, in order to discern which entity it was that gifted him with that insight. Only when he has settled his attention upon a particular clump of sagebrush or noticed the ghosting presence of a small whirlwind stirring the dust nearby and has matched the character of the pre that presence somehow to the quality of the thought that just found him, only then does Jacob relax back into our walk and maybe, just maybe, tell me something of that insight. Here, here let me add a footnote to David Abraham writing. Because Yesterday, while giving instructions for walking meditation, as I always do and I will do again, I discouraged you as you did the walking meditation from looking around. And encourage you to instead focus your eye just a few feet ahead of your walking, of your feet. Yet today I find myself applauding Jacob in his gazing around the land, the trees, the cliffs, the crowds. Contradictory? Not at all. The limiting of our field of vision in the walking practice is simply a tool 
for connecting with our ourselves. A tool for connecting with our inner Jacob. We need to make that connection. Now, having made that connection, then, and only then, can we truly connect with the earth. We are connected. We are totally connected with, with our being, and now we can connect our being with what's outside. As, and that's what, of course, Jacob is doing. So, let me continue. This, this Jacob looking around and, and digesting what happens to him, etc. This happens often enough for me to realize that there is nothing unusual about it. It's perfectly normal for him. Nothing special. When I've asked him about these pauses, these moments, when our conversation suddenly seems to open quietly onto a new field of intelligence vibrating all around us, Jacob has told me little more than I've told you just now. It's just his way. It lends to our reflective walks a quality of resonant attention to the world, an attunement to the surrounding shapes, sounds, and textures, usually absent from the mental reveries to which most of us are accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. At further down, he says, at first I surmised that Jacob felt he had no hand in these thoughts that they came entirely from the other beings around him, from that many-branched juniper or that swooping magpie, or from the moon rising silent above the ridge. Soon, however, I learned that my friend's understanding was subtler. that for Jacob the insights belonged no more to the juniper than they belonged to him. Rather, they were born of the encounter between them, between his mindful presence and the gnarled intelligence of that tree, between his sentient body and the earthly sentience of that place. Meaning, according to my friend, arises from meeting, from the felt contact between oneself and what is not oneself. From the encounter between oneself and another person, or a river, or the surging wind. From, ultimately, the ongoing interaction and intercourse between oneself and the rest of the earthly cosmos. 
And of course, as you all know, in various degrees, we have our inner Jacobs too. Meditation is the door for that. Meditation opens up for ourselves this inner quality, this being of the earth, this worth, word, wordless conversation with the cosmos. And it does so also by helping us put aside the compulsion of self-centered. The compulsion to privilege me and mine over you and yours. We come to realize that seeing ourselves as masters of everything is not a privilege but an affliction. And when we realize that, then we are ready to put this compulsion aside. Ready to create a space where we can discover our deep-rooted connectedness with the world. Eventually, our dialogue transcends all words while providing a fine and silent attunement to the currents crisscrossing us all and crisscrossing all parts of our being. And so, feeling the pulse of our being, we feel loud and clear the pulse of the earth. Let's sit for a few minutes, please, in silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.